satellite is finally here and like a late image comic I thought it would be appropriate to make this a very special super blog team up road to revolution image comics edition we have not one but three guests today first myself and the man who broke me into comics podcasting the mind behind source material comics podcast and co-host of unspoken issues Jesse Starcher is here as we break down how we discovered image comics and we put the Image 7 Founding Fathers under the microscope and give our detailed opinions on all of their work. And trust me, some of them aren't pretty. We also have an exclusive premium clip of my interview with the man who published Image Comics, Mr. Malibu Comics himself, the Ultraverse Man. Mr. Dave Ulbrich joins myself and Adam Pope for a sneak peek at this amazing interview, which chronicles very intimate details of the original image deal. All this and much more, Superhero Satellite begins right now. Bring it. Your mark, ready, set, let's go. Dance for pro, I know, you know, I go psycho when my new joint hit. Just can't sit, gotta get jiggy with it. Ooh, that's it, now honey, honey, come ride. TKNY, all up in my eyes. You gotta ride a bag with a lot of stuff in it. Give it to your friend, let's spin. Everybody looking at me, glancing a kid. Wishing they was dancing a jig here with this handsome kid. Sick a cigar right from Cuba Cuba. I just bite it, just for the look, I don't light it. They'll wait to hand me on the hand, stay on play. Give it up, jiggy, make it feel like a play. Yo, my cardio is infinite. <laughs> Big Willie Styles all in it. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Chris Bailey, a.k.a. Charlton Hero here. We are actually back. Forget this. Episode three. Yes, episode three of the Superhero Satellite Podcast. Believe it or not, and this one is a super blog team-up edition, and we are talking Image Comics Road to Revolution. We're talking about the early days, the in-between days and current days of Image Comics. And with me today is the man who's responsible for my podcasting career, the guy who pulled me out of the trenches, who took this wooden podcaster and made him into less of a wooden podcaster. I bring you Mr. Source Material Comics Podcast, Mr. Unspoken Issues himself, Jesse Starcher, where are you oh, at? Chris Bailey, my goodness. What an introduction, man. What an introduction. Thank you very much for having me on here, man. Um, That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. So, listen. Wizard number eight sits in my hands right now. Wizard, the oh. guide to comics, number eight, Woo. sits in my hands right now, okay? And we're going to just thumb through the pages real quick and make our way to Wizard News, the inside scoop of uh, in the inside scoop on the world of comics, okay? Uh, uh, ter- Terminator 3, possibility, could be happening. Now, mind you, this is <laughs> April of 1992, okay? Uh, this is cover date of our wizard issue here. Uh, Valiant begins a crossover. Unity number zero will be free. Are you ready Ooh, for that? my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my, my Unity. You, you, you talk about going deep here. I mean, Unity right. crossovers, boy, they're going to get to a bigger one a little bit later, but we'll get okay. into that in a second. <laughs> uh, Zen gets new format, so I'm uh, the intergalactic ninja. I don't know if you know much about Zen, but there you go. Uh, Mark Bagley leaves the new Warriors, and down here in the lower right-hand corner, there's a tiny little thing that says Venom Movie. 
Oh, that could be happening. There may be a <laughs> movie based on Venom. Might take a little while to get to that, but well, you know, we'll I, see. I heard there's money to be had there, Starcher. What do you think? <laughs> Just a possibility. Uh, big, it. right at the top here, right at the very beginning, big box, hot artist sign at Malibu Comics. Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and others begin new titles. And I'll read this to you. As of press time, it appears that Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Tom, Todd McFarlane, and other big names in comics are switching over to Malibu Comics and starting their own universe. Projects already named includes Jim Lee's Wildcats, a superhero team, Youngblood, another team book by Rob Liefeld, and Spawn, a single character book which heralds the return of Todd McFarlane. Golly, with this much cool stuff coming from Malibu, how long before we see their books Attack the hot charts. Wow. <laughs> it would not be long, we will say. Holy cow. I mean, yeah, we man. are in the, the heat of the 90s right here. I mean, stuff is blowing up. You got X-Men blowing up, you know, uh, or you just had X-Men blow up with Jim Lee. You had Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane rattling those sales charts. You had X-Force with Rob Liefeld absolutely just killing it. And all of a sudden. These guys just get up and leave, and they're right. moving house to Malibu. That's now, right. funny thing about Malibu, a little bit later in our conversation here, I'm actually going to bring, uh, as part of the Wizards Files, uh, a little clip. And it's a little bit more than a little clip. It's a, it's a detailed discussion on how Image landed in the palm of Malibu Comics. And the man who actually signed the deal, Mr. Dave Ulbrich, be, will be with us a little bit later. But first, you and I are going to get into the the meat and potatoes of the 90s comics. Now, listen, I know you run your own podcast, Jesse Starcher, on spoken issues. Can't be missed. A One of the things that's on the very top of my podcatcher is Jesse Starcher and the unspoken issues with, uh, with Chris Armstrong, with Dean Compton from time to time. My God. Talk to me about the 90s. I, I know you're just bursting with 90s knowledge. Uh, what were you doing Wow! during this time? What were you buying? So, okay. Uh, easily, I was into the mutant books in the 90s. Absolutely. So I, I'm doing the, uh, you know, I'm reading X-Men, X-Factor. Uh, as far as my little tiny allowance would get me, I was trying to stay <laughs> up on top of whatever I could, especially regarding the mutant mayhem that was happening in Marvel Comics. But... Getting outside of that, it, it was rare for me to find myself um, jumping into a whole lot of other titles. I knew about most of what was going on in the Marvel Universe, thanks to The Wizard, The Guide to Comics there. Yes. That, that was my best way of uh, trying to keep up on what else was going on, and possibly maybe some uh, trading cards as well. Oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you had a, had a run of those or not, but, uh, but you know, that... that funny you said that because i wasn't a super trading card guy however the gimmicks hooked me so you know we're talking about the the era of excess when it came to comics so i mean oh, yeah. you know every single book i mean if you could see if you could fit something on the cover if you could smear chromium aluminum glow in the dark paint my god yeah, it happened buddy. in the 90s and and listen i was buying it all hook line and sinker but uh but yeah so continue on yeah so you know the Let's see. So that'd be probably about the early 90s. And yeah. as we're getting into, uh, I would say, 92, um, just before this is happening, I would say that I'm noticing, I'm starting to notice uh, artists' names. 
specifically yes. artists' names. I wasn't paying attention. You probably heard me talk about this before, but I wasn't paying attention to many people who were writing the story. I was like, man, look at this beautiful art. Rob Liefeld jumps off the page. I remember, yes. you know, Jim Lee's first X-Men. Uh, X-Men. I used to, ha- I remember looking that up in the price guide just to try and keep a track. Because I think it was X-Men 252. I could be way off on that. But it, it, I remember, maybe it was 278. I have no idea now. <laughs> I need to go to the internet. But, you know, I, I'm I'm keeping track of that because these artists are so, these creators are so hot. They're burning up the charts and people are taking notice. Me included, you know, as, as a young oh, yeah. kid, I'm starting to look at these these panels, these pages these guys are putting. They're so dynamic. Uh, it was, you know, it, it was something to behold. Um, and, and for for me, I'm the, I'm the same way. Uh, in the late 80s, like I collected comics all the way, you know, probably started at the very end of 1980, right on up. Now, there was a significant change happening at the end of the 80s. So, I mean, I was a staunch Spider-Man fan. Most of my stuff were, you know, were, were DC comics, different things. I was into all the events, you know, but Spider-Man was one of those books that I constantly bought. Okay. And something happened in the pages of Spider-Man. A brand new artist appeared. So, you know, Todd McFarlane, I know he had fooled around with the Hulk and, you know, gave him this whole new look and, you know, a big forehead, brought him back to the Kirby era, but then he took over on Spider-Man. Now, Spider-Man at that point was done by who? Who was the artist? I think, did you not interview him? Uh, oh, uh, 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 Ron no. Friends. Ron was Friends? Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> so so Ron, Ron, Ron Friends actually had a very, very um, safe house style, we'll say. Right. It was comfort yes. it was comfort food for me. You know what I mean? It was what I was used to. Characters looked how they should. You know, everybody looked good, but nobody looked bombastic. You know what I mean? These look like um I would say style guide versions of the character. You know what I mean? Suddenly you had Todd McFarlane bring in this almost cartoonish you know, it was a, it was almost like a hybrid style. So, you know, the, the body language of the characters changed dramatically. The facials went a little bit more cartoonish, almost Disney-like. Uh, you know, the proportions of ladies inflated in all the right areas. You know, it was uh, it was something to behold. But he turned Spider-Man and morphed that character and the body into shapes we had never seen before. The webbing all of a sudden developed into like coiling. And it was really, really jumped off the page and it hit me in the guts like, holy crap, what am I seeing here? You know what I mean? And I really got into that style. But then Liefeld exploded. Jim Lee exploded over on the X-Men. And you're just like, Jesus, man, comics are changing and they are changing fast. And I love every bit of it. Yeah. And just to think that these guys would would get up, and you know, literally, at at the end of the uh, at the end of the eighties, what, what to, when did they jump in here? Was it the end of ninety one? Uh, I think that they they had the meeting December ninety one. They literally walked into the office of yeah. DeValco and and Terry Stewart, and um, the boys what a great said, "Story, what a great yeah. story this is." I mean, to to me. The image era as it was ushered in and to hear all the stories that uh, of how these guys just had the balls to go in and say, hey, by the way, we're done here. Uh, And all these other guys are going with me. And then they walk over. This is a great story. If anybody has the chance, there's a documentary on 
Amazon Prime, I believe. Uh, yep. It's called Image. Uh, I want to say, well, it's not the Road to Independence. I can't remember specifically what it's called. Maybe it is Re- Image Revolution. Maybe the Image Revolution. But anyway, go seek that out because they talk about how not only do you get Rob Liefeld doing great Todd McFarlane impressions throughout the whole thing, but <laughs> he's so good at that. Yeah. He is. Uh, when they talk about telling Marvel, hey, we're done, and then walking across the street and going over to DC and just saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we're leaving Marvel, but you can't have us either. <laughs> and it's just do you, so do you, great. Do you kind of think that they played that off a little bit? I think, you know what I mean? I think that they thought they had DC in their back pocket. And Probably. that they were that they would want that they would march over there and get completely free reign. And when they got over there and realized, wait a second, we just burned a bridge with our employer. And now you guys are not going to give us exactly what we want. Well, we're not going to go there either. So now where in the hell did he go? So they pick up the phone and they call Dave Olbrich from Malibu Comics and said, hey, meet us in New York. <laughs> you can have the deal or not. You got to be there or we're just going to we're going to pass on. And I mean, listen, I mean, some of these guys were getting really, really big paychecks from Marvel. I mean, let's talk about it. Jim Lee, I mean. He wasn't all the way in on these first conversations, you know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. they came a little bit later. Todd McFarlane came a little bit later, but let me tell you something. Uh, Rob Liefeld, uh, you know Eric Larson and Mark Silvestri, they they jumped in, you know they they jumped right into the deep end of the pool right away and put their sacrifice out there. Now behind the scenes, which we'll discover a little bit later. Rob was sort of playing the field, you know what I mean? Like, oh, really? He, oh, yes. He, so he was having conversations in the background and almost got himself into a little bit of trouble. So he this created doesn't surprise me for some reason. Does not yes. surprise me at all. I don't know why. <laughs> so he was already dabbling in conversations behind the scenes, and he wanted to push a, a comic book. I think it was called Exterminators. Okay. Exterminators with an E-X. See? Mm-hmm. It's different. It's completely oh, yeah. different, Jesse. You can't you can fool me. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the X Men or X Force. It was the X Terminators. Okay, uh-huh. so let you know, put your lawsuits down, people. And uh, anyway, through the jigs and the reels, Marvel was like, "Oh hell, no! You're not making Exterminators," and that all fell to pieces. So you know. He was in conversations with Malibu Comics, and he, you know, he was listing out a few few ideas he wanted to do. And when he was hit with the uh, with the you know potential lawsuit, he backed out of that. But then he went to his friends and say, "Hey, you know, there's there's more strength in numbers. Why don't we, you know, do our own thing? If we're making X number of dollars, why don't we just do our own thing and take our losses?" And you know, he recounts in his podcast where he calls his dad and tells him his idea, and his dad thinks he's crazy. And then he breaks down the math. You know, if I make X number of dollars on a Marvel book yeah. and I lose this much to Marvel, you know, if I, I only need to make this much from my own self-publishing, if I'm going to sell 100,000 comics, then, you know, I'm going to make this much. I'll be actually be making more. Right. So, right. Yeah. So yeah. Once, once once he did the math, he calls his buddies. They go to the office and they quit in mass, which is complete madness to me. <laughs> yeah. You uh, just think of what came before you know marvel and dc had all this history and you know just to go and say hey we're going to burn some bridges to do our own thing again it takes a lot of guts to do something like that um man oh man and and i can't wait to listen to the interview uh you know i understand the financial aspect of it and the financial reasons behind it i mean you want to Marvel and DC obviously is a safe choice. You're, you're kind of safe there. You got people that kind of love you, but you may not have the creative freedom that you want. 
uh, and you're also not making as much money as you should. And when somebody Correct. says, you know, hey, you can make 90 percent uh, off this dollar. Uh, oh, instead of the 40 that I'm getting or something like that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to take that risk. Why wouldn't I want to? And if exactly, you're the, but these are the people yeah. that are the hottest creators at the time too, man. People knew these 14 year old me knew these names. Now, if I if I'm Dave Olbrich and Malibu Comics, I am sitting there with a this is a can't lose scenario. Now, no kidding. The, yeah, one of the things that will come out, you know, a little bit later, and we'll talk about it during the interview. Um, will be, you know, the financial ramifications of that. And uh, apparently the image partners were, uh, were were very adamant about having Malibu Comics uh, as as giving them zero credit for the work that they're doing to publish them. Trust me, that, oh, that comes oh. up. And, and it's a little bit of a, what I like to call the dirty shirt scenario, where <laughs> we're going to use you up until this shirt gets dirty and we're going to discard you. And that was sort of, sort of the deal. That's what However, happens though, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, you get yourself established. But boy, did Image Comics rock the comic book world. They hit with all kinds of titles bombastically. But first, I want to talk about our creators. I just wanted to do, you know, just some uh, some word recognition. When I bring up bring up a character's name, you tell me your thoughts on each one of these creators. OK, so we're going to start with the man himself, the Todd father. Let's talk about Todd McFarlane. What's your experience with McFarlane? What do you think of his art? And, yeah. uh, you know, of course, Spawn. Oh, yeah, buddy. Uh, well, look, I remember having uh, you. You may be able to picture this. If you were reading Spider-Man at the time, there is a cover uh, that he did with the lizard on the front of it. And yes. uh, it, I think I can't remember if he has Spider-Man by the collar. I can't remember. I just remember the lizard looking very menacing. And I I dog eared that thing to death. Uh, <laughs> I remember it, it. I took it on vacation with me. We headed up to Cleveland. Uh, so we're heading north. We're almost up there, Bailey. Not 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 totally where you're at, but we're getting close. Uh, <laughs> but that, that damn thing fell in the snow and it was all crinkled and all wet and everything. But by God, it made it into my G.I. Joe suitcase and it stayed there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was, well done, sir. Yo, Joe. Uh, yeah. Yo, Joe. But yeah, you know, I at that point I was recognizing just how good Todd McFarlane was and how recognizable his art style is. That's the one thing you could say about every single one of these guys is that, you know, there's this art style that really sets them apart. Uh, enough God, for you, just to discern I, I like, them. I like, I like how you mentioned, you're exactly right. I like how you mentioned the lizard because one of the, I think the hallmarks of the McFarlane run is how he brings back the classic look of the rogues gallery. He almost mm -hmm. goes back to Ditko era. You know what I mean? And, you know, a lot of these looks and styles, especially with characters like Doc Ock, were played with over the years, and they had almost become unrecognizable. You know what I mean? We went through the suit, you know, the Secret Wars where they change the suit to black. You know what I mean? The black and white, uh, you know, the, the Venom look, we'll call it. Um, you know, some, some of the rogues gallery didn't look how they used to do. I mean, let's talk about Green Goblin. He had died. They replaced him with Hobgoblin. McFarlane yeah, yeah. comes back, and he brings the Ditko, man. He brings the... Uh, the fire and fury of the the original rogues gallery and that's his intention he wanted to bring you know the original the original bad guys back and make them look exactly how they used to do and right. with his own flair of course but you know extra teeth extra layers extra detail extra you know oh, crazy claws oh man so good continue on yeah todd so uh, todd mcfarland so i 
I think the first time I had actually seen a spawn issue was I went down to my next door neighbors. We were hanging out down there playing Game Boy, doing something. Of course. And there it sits. I, I'm pretty certain it was spawn number one. Now, let me just explain a, what I believe is a mistaken uh, – let's just say it was a, a misconception on my part, okay? Okay. So a spawn number one uh, – spawn hits, and this is 1992. I didn't know anything about Image Comics or and what was going right. on. In the early days. Uh, so at the very, you know, I see Spawn. I'm like, boy, that looks like a pretty cool comic book, man. Where'd you get this? You know, he tells me. Uh, and I realized that this issue of Spawn is like one of the hottest things. You know, I've got my wizard guide to comics. It's saying it's one of the hottest books out there. And you look at the price yep. of it. And it's so I assume this thing is like the rarest thing ever. Fast forward <laughs> to like, I don't know, probably maybe 10 years ago, I'm sitting at my buddy, Golden Age Dave. I've mentioned him way back in the day on my old Source Material podcast. Me and Golden Age Dave are sitting there, and he's going through some of these comics, and I'm like, I see Spawn number one sitting there. I was like, oh, man, I've always wanted to get my hands on a Spawn number one. He's like, it's like the most printed comic ever, man. Why, <laughs> why don't you have one? And I'm like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, here, you can have one copy. I've got three more. I had no idea, no clue, <laughs> because I, I thought it was so rare and thought it was, you know, it was just, it was brand new that it it escaped me for the longest time. I have no idea why. Uh, but uh, what's, anyway. What's funny, what's funny about it, you're right about that, because a lot of these had you know, exceptionally high print runs. I mean, this is not something that, you know, got hit, got its value out of, you know, being super scarce yeah. or being limited to a variant or some foolishness like that. These things were, you know, these things were basically everywhere, but they were super hot. You know, Wizard was touting it as, you know, the next, the next coming of Jesus. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. oh my God, what is Todd McFarlane doing now? It's this new Spawn character. And right. everybody had to jump on the train. Carry on. Well, I think the first issue of Spawn that I bought was probably like issue number seven or eight. I know I've got the first appearance of Angela, uh, and uh, it was so it was either right then or a little bit before that I was like, I, I got to get on. I've got to start getting this. I've got to start collecting it. Uh, now, I was interested in Spawn, but he was not my favorite character by far. Oh, uh, no. you, you know, I I enjoyed I enjoyed what I was reading, but as to you know what kept me putting money in images pockets as a completely separate creator. And we'll get to that one here in a, in a few, but, uh, but there so you go. That is your Spider -Man. first image comic, first image comic. So it would have been pit number four or no, excuse me, pit oh. number one. I'm thinking young blood oh, for the longest man. time, for the longest time, I thought it was young blood number four until I start looking at the dates. These things came out. And what I realized was like young blood number four comes out just a hair later than pit number one dale keown dale keown and wow. pit good one that pit on it's just his face on the front cover ripping first issue down at the bottom and i was like i've got to get that i knew Take of dale money. right i knew of dale keown from doing uh the incredible hulk for a while and i was always into his art and I was like, I've got, it's a ground floor. It's issue number one. That's where I wanted to start it. I was, I was like, I can't just jump into something. Uh, so I, I got that. And shortly after that, I bought Young Blood number four, I think, which is stupid. Of course, I couldn't find Young Blood number one anywhere. Uh, but <laughs> now that, regardless. That, to me, Young Blood number one was actually scarce. Now, right. now you know, if you look around, it, it ain't hard to find. Let's put it that way. In my area, that thing was not to be found. That was the invisible ghost. You know what I mean? You, you could not find it. And when, when you talk about 
early image I fluked into image, so I knew it was coming. I, I was like yourself. I kept up on, you know, the industry insider. My inside baseball magazine, of course, was Wizard magazine. Right. That's that's where everybody got their information. I knew this stuff was coming out, and I went to my grocery store. Now, my my local haunts at the drugstore and different places like that. We didn't really have comic book shops, so I went to a grocery store that had a wooden magazine rack, and it was just something that was sort of shoehorned in the corner. And lo and behold, right at the top. Savage Dragon number one and Spawn number one. I actually grabbed them the same time. They had been just lingering around despite being released a little bit, you know, in weeks of each other. What I mean? Right. And I grabbed two of those things. I'm like, holy shit! It's two number ones back to back. It's Image. Now, now I knew I had missed Youngblood number one. So, but I was on ground level and I was super pumped. Now, Todd McFarlane, to get back to the Todd McFarlane thing, I loved his Spider-Man when he was on Amazing Spider-Man. Loved it, you know, for, right from the beginning. Then Larson took over. I still enjoyed it. You know, I rode that I rode that pony to the grave. And then right. he made his adjectiveless Spider-Man, which I'm like, all right, another one with Todd. Todd's back on Spider-Man. I can't wait. And it sucked. <laughs> We're not impressed, terrible. huh? <laughs> oh, my God. There is almost no redeemable content in that book. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like right. it, almost every page is like a splash, not a, like a splash page, but just, you know, there's no defined boxes. It doesn't look like a comic. It looks like a, a collection of drawings smeared on a page, which that, which were beautiful, by the way. It's beautiful. I, I will freedom, say that. brother. Didn't he like that was his whole reason for getting that book, right? Was because he just wanted to have the free reign to do something with that with that title, with that character. And, yeah, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, (laughs) I I, and and then 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 I finally learned the importance of a great writer because great writer. Right. Todd McFarlane could not write for shit. That entire <laughs> first, that entire first arc, when it's just boom or da doom, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? It's the sound effect, and you're oh, it. I, I I could not I could not wait to throw that thing in the garbage. And I owned, I I must have maybe twenty to thirty copies of number one in multiple formats, from wow. black and silver to pre bagged to you, you name it. I've got just got a ton. And I think I even ended up with one of those stupid platinum ones. And don't don't ask me how or I, do I care. But I mean, you know, are, these are so you're buying these off the shelf? You're buying these right off, off the shelf. shelf. Day one ish. I got a call for I'll never forget it. I got a call from my comic book store. Now this guy was Shady John, I'll call him. And Shady John <laughs> liked to take Chris's money all the time and used to overcharge me on books. But he I told him that listen, when Spider Man number one comes, I need I need the heads up, brother. And yeah. he called me and I got on my pedal bike and I flew to that store ahead of my friend and I just cashed in. I I took handfuls of this shit that and jammed great. it on the counter and I bought them wholesale. And I must have ah. bought at least thirty dollars worth of uh of amazing spider or Spider Man number ones and uh <sighs> yeah. Regret is not a big enough word. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now, see, I look into stuff like that at auctions. And I say luck within quotes because sometimes you get, you know, you buy these auction boxes. You're like, OK, what's going to be in this thing now? I haven't had a chance to go through everything. Oh, there's 20 copies of uh, Spider-Man number one. Gotcha. That's <laughs> that. I can see that happening to me. Oh, man, that's great. Google something for me. Google something for me. We're going to do a live Google here on the show. Ready? Adjectively Spider-Man number one value. Oh, boy. Let's just say a 9.8 because I can guarantee you these things were never cracked. Oh, wow. You're wanting like straight up slabbed? 
Oh, no, not so well. Oh. Tell me what a slab would be. I'm sure Aaron Myers could tell us, but I digress. Yeah. Let's take a look here. Spider-Man number one. Uh, comic value. Here we go. This is the type of pivoting information you get here at Superhero Satellite. CGC, Spider-Man number one, go collect. All right, well, so, okay, I'm looking here. Um, (laughs) $5. (laughs) Go collect, com. Now, again, we had so many variants going on on this thing. Mm -hmm. But, okay, uh, wow. So they they have these CGC broke down, too. Uh, fair market value of a 9.6. Apparently, there's yep. a 1,061 of these out there that have been, uh, I assume, sold at some point, but they have $65 for a 9.6. <laughs> now, 9.6, that's, that's, I mean, usually people are touting these things like, for like, you know, 9.8. Okay, over here, let's see what we got going on over here. On the right hand side, Spider Man number one, polybagged edition. Oh, they don't, they aren't breaking it out, breaking it out yep. here. Shit. Uh, they aren't giving it they aren't giving us a price i, I mean i've got grades at like 9.8 but they aren't it, giving it, me a price on it for some reason it, it's um, funny because you see these things go up and down in value so much like you, you'll see some person trying to charge you 70 dollars, and then you find it in a discount bin for you know five bucks right so right. I mean, the variance on these things are just you know i don't think there's really a market for it it's just like you know whatever the the store owner wants to charge you for it and you know depending on if todd was you know mentioned on the latest observations you know it goes up and down oh yeah and it it's does. just crazy but let me tell you something one thing about the no i'll i'll, I'll save that for rob's rob's portion but yeah okay. You know what? Todd McFarlane. I will say that I do enjoy his work. Uh, Spawn itself, I don't like. I All right. truly, truly don't like that that comic. It has that dark vibe where, you know, some of the characters are intriguing and I like the premise, but it's just too dark for me. I, I don't get enjoyment out of it. Put it that we way. Didn't, we didn't get this. We didn't. I wanted to do this before the SBTU was going to hit, but unfortunately, the planets did not align. But Unspoken Issues is doing all of the creator-owned, uh, or excuse me, creator-first for Image. So we are doing Spawn number one. And right before this podcast, I actually sat down and noted the first issue of Spawn. Uh, yeah, dark vibe. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely there. And man, sometimes it's just like. I don't know. You could go three or four pages where like 20 words are said. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's time to write a novel. And uh, you're, oh, yeah, it's like he, his inspiration hits him at weird times. I think, you know, I think it's depending on, you know, how much of this he actually drew himself because Todd, believe it or not, gets off that book really, really fast. And then, yeah. he, then he, then he dumps it like a dirty shirt onto, onto other, other artists who take the reins. You know what I mean? A lot of folks tried to do their best McFarlane up front and then they just, you know, started doing their own thing. But man, uh, I think this took the lifeblood out of, uh, out of Todd McFarlane, but boy, did it make him a stack of dollars, Jesse yeah. Starcher. Oh, did wow. it ever. He can go and spend all yeah. that money on his uh, baseballs that he always collects or whatever. He does. <laughs> so are we giving Todd McFarlane the thumbs up or are we giving Todd? I, I know I will. I mean, overall, I, with the, yeah, overall I'll, body I'll, of work. Overall body of work. I mean, if you're going to say uh, you got to grade him on everything. So you got to grade him on yeah. art, which is just, I mean, yeah. it's going to make up for any kind of deficiency he has in writing uh, because yes. Spider-Man sold that well uh, because people were right. buying it just because it was such a beautiful book in the first place. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to give him a thumbs up. It's going to be hard for me to give him a thumbs down. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think his weakness is definitely in his writing. Uh, but man, artist and, you know, the, just his overall, um, you know, he changed the game. He changed the game. He created an entire breed of new artists. And, you know, the way we looked at comics before changed dramatically overnight when Todd McFarlane hit Spider-Man. So thumbs up, McFarlane. Want me to do my best uh, Todd McFarlane impersonation? Uh, actually, oh, it's my best. Rob, it's my best Rob Liefeld doing Todd McFarlane. Uh-huh. Now, Rob, Rob, you, you gotta go over here, Rob. What are you doing, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got, you gotta add a bit of, uh, you gotta add a bit of Canadian to that. You ready for a oh, bit? Oh, okay. Flash on top of that. I don't but, know if I can do. But, it. You, you, you can't go buck the bronco, but you can't buck the bronco. <laughs> I understand what you're trying to say, Rob. Oh, that's great, man. Great I job. love it. All right. So we're going to move on to, man, another guy who was burning hot at the time, Mr. Jim Lee, X-Man himself. Yeah. What do you think of Jim Lee? Talk to us about Jim Lee and Wildcats, number one. Yeah. Let's right, go. dude. So, yeah, like I said, I'm reading the X-Books. Uh, you know, we we get some great Jim Lee art in the Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and, of course, you know, he branches off. Uh, with his own adjectiveless X-Men, doesn't he? I mean, it's, it's the adjectiveless X-Men. Uh, and he's, you can't be uncanny anymore, by God. Uh, no, you cannot. And his... Clearly, I think, if we're going to rank for myself, as far as artistry goes, out of all these guys we're going to be talking about, Jim Lee's going to be probably at the top for me. Todd McFarlane's great. He'll, he might be second for me. But Jim Lee is... Jim Lee's got this just unreal style that looks it it doesn't look cartoony this looks somewhat real it's better it's it's i don't want to say better than mcfarland mcfarland's got his own style but i mean we're talking something that looks i don't know believable how's that believable is that a better is that a better term i i agree like it's it's got its its comic book flair i would compare it in 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 his own way. Now he has his own style. It doesn't look like anybody else. But I think he's almost got like a, a Neil Adams anatomy type thing going on there, where he really nails that anatomy, and he's got that distinct Jim Lee face. You know what I mean? And Neil Adams had the Neil Adams face too. But man, you talk about grasping body and and you know how to deliver anatomy in a book. Man, I don't. There's not one image guy here, and not one. And I know Rob Liefeld would uh, would dispute that with me, but uh, who nails anatomy any better than uh, than Jim Lee? I just thought what he did with X Men was next level stuff. And when he did Batman, that Batman run got me back into Batman. When he did Hush, good lord, I was I was right back there with you. But uh, like wow, G- Jim Lee heard, was something else. Yeah, when people heard that he was going to be doing something with, uh, you know, with Batman and. Uh, like, how could you not pick up that book? How could you not oh. want to see what he was going to do with that character? Has uh, he looked any better? Like, I, let's be right, honest. dude. Yeah, and it's been how long? <laughs> so, my God. I mean, Capullo yeah. does does a good Batman. It's not as good as Jim Lee. I'll tell you that. You can grab a page from uh, you can grab a page from Hush and compare it to anything Capullo does, and there is no comparison. So, you know, fanboys can come at me all you want. Not a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I remember as I was collecting and again, Wildcat. So I, I get in there just after image starts in regards right. to the, the titles that were coming out. Um, 
so Wildcats number one eluded me. And again, I think I, this must have been another fourth issue that I picked up because I remember the cover to issue number four. And I'm like, boy, I would have liked to have known what happened previous to this story. But, hey, I've got a Jim Lee comic in my hands. Um, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, watching and learning that he was going to jump ship, go over to, or jump ship. He was he was leaving Marvel, going to do his own thing. So I, I start buying Wildcats. And that ends up becoming one of the titles that I faithfully collected. Now, Jim Lee, I, if I remember correctly, I was looking at issue number one. Um, I know he's creator, but I don't I, I know he has no problem handing off the writing duties to somebody else uh, because right. that's that's, you know, his bread and butter is what we see on the page. And the storytelling is by far something that he has no problem allowing somebody else to take over. Uh, so I, I was really interested in in what was going on in the Wildcats book. I remember I followed that all the way up through. Oh, man, I want to say it was on my pull list from like, uh, I don't know, 10 issue, 10 or 11 straight through. Oh, wow. Yeah, straight through like I want to say 25, 26, something like that. It granted that's probably what, like a couple years, two or three years of Wildcats yeah. that I was picking up. I remember the team changing and. And some of the crazy stuff that was going on as uh, writers were changing, if I remember correctly. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed a lot of that Wildstorm universe that he was putting together. Oh. You know, we have Stormwatch was another uh, another book out of that universe that I really I, I was I was picking that up faithfully, dude. That was issue wow, one. To I, you know what? I I can't say that I've, I've, I've I'm a Stormwatch fan. Tell me about it. What do what do you love about it? Well, it was. <laughs> You know, you had this team of superheroes that was made up of all. I mean, this is going to sound very familiar, <laughs> but it was made up of uh, it was made up of different uh, superheroes from different nations. But and their job was obviously to take care of the world and, and interject themselves in any world threat. Uh, the I don't know what the appeal of it was. I don't know. if I, I imagine it was the art plus the storytelling that was going on. I was there was a lot of political intrigue, a lot of, uh, you know, yeah, there's. Uh, a possible, uh, oh my goodness, issues of, what was it called? Vision, not visions. Hold on a second. Images, <laughs> images of tomorrow. I was going to get there. Images of tomorrow. Do you remember, do you remember that crossover at all? Images of tomorrow. Re okay. Refresh me. All right. Sounds so, familiar, man. I, I don't know. This is a little, this is a little ways out uh, from the beginning of image, but this is one of my favorite crossovers that happened during, and uh, in, in, in the great, the greatest part of it was when uh, in Stormwatch because Stormwatch handled it so well. So here's what happens. I can't remember okay. what issue it occurs, but we want we go from like issue. Uh, I will just say 12. I'm sure that's not it. But let's just say we go to issue 12 comes out one month and then the next the next month issue 25 drops and it shows you what happens in issue 25 and the oh. rest. Uh, yeah, the rest of the year is them building to that. So you Ooh, get, I love that idea. I love yeah. it when they when they do backward storytelling. Oh, it was great. And Stormwatch nailed it because there was that happened in, I think, some of the extreme titles as well. But Stormwatch stuck to it. Uh, I don't even know if I'm sure they did. but I don't know if Brigade or Bloodstrike <laughs> or whatever other made it to the issue 25. But by God, Stormwatch did. And they were faithful. In my opinion, they were faithful. They were the most faithful of them all that uh, that participated in Images of, of Tomorrow. But anyway, that's one of my uh, bright moments for at least a Jim, Jim Lee related <laughs> title. But uh, Wildcats well, itself, Wildcats number one. Go ahead. 
Wildcats is one of those books, believe it or not, that I own about 15 copies. Now, you might say, why do I own 15 copies of Wildcats? A funny thing happened. I'll tell you a story. So, All right. Comic Shady shops John. Were yeah. Well, no, it wasn't Shady John. It was uh, it was another guy, Shady Jamie, Dirty okay. Jamie, actually. Now, Dirty Jamie owned a comic shop where he would overcharge Chris for Valiant Comics, and he oh. would make sure that the uh, any trading cards or certificates that were built into the comics were cleverly clipped out before he sold him Harbinger uh, Number One. No. All, yes. Yes. Remember the coupons. Yeah. Valiant had coupons. Yeah. So, you know, he would sell Harbinger number one, for example, and uh, couponless, by the way, for full value. And Chris would purchase these with, you know, great vigor and not realize until he went to resell one of those that there was no coupon. Oh, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? Those shady practices. That is a funny thing happened when Dirty Jamie gave me a whole batch of comics to deliver to a comic book store. Those comics (laughs) never made it. (laughs) <laughs> oh man i, bet I said don't. i said i have been reimbursed praise jesus and wildcats number one had 15 copies right there so you're welcome you, i'm i'm, I'm, you I'm, sell, I'm did, did you find the black market and sell any of uh you know any of them and get get your i, I, I don't know but you know the the bird cage upstairs is certainly lined <laughs> quite well with that in spider-man number one i will say that oh, man. <laughs> That's great. I, so so, yeah, Jim Lee, what are we giving them? Thumbs up or thumbs down? That's, I don't think there's yeah, any question thumbs, here. Not, yeah, you're going to have no argument for me giving this guy a thumbs up. Absolutely. One hundred percent. All right. Well, you might have a different opinion here. All right. Ready for this one? How about Jim Valentino, Mr. Shadowhawk, Mr. Guardians of the Galaxy? Talk to me about Jim Valentino. So this is a guy that flew under my radar. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't even exactly. know if I knew he was a creator. I, and I'm sorry. I don't mean to say that, you know, like like that in right. any way, because exactly. it's just like when you got when you're involved in an industry where you have names like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane, uh, you know, Jim Valentino is going to probably find himself a wash in there. Now, the thing is, is that I've learned a lot about this man since then. Uh, you know, yes. I've uh, you know, uh, he's, one of, he's one of the head figures of that company still to I, this day. That's right. That's right. And his guardian of the Ga- guardians of the galaxy, un- un- unfortunately, not on the pool list. I was not, you know, again, <laughs> I'm a mutant guy. Give me my X-Man. Give me my cable. OK, I will. You know, I, I want those mutant books. I'm not getting guardians of the galaxy. So hence why I probably didn't know much about this guy. Now, Shadowhawk's a different story. OK, so, OK. So here we go. Now, now I'll, I'll pose this question to you, Jesse Starcher. Okay. Those Shadowhawk covers. Were they not some of the best things that that image did at that time? Did they not jump off the shelf at you? That wow. silver, almost foil, chromium cover with that Shadowhawk head of, you know, Shadowhawk yeah. 2, the series. Like, yeah. man, those things, they, they just took my money right away. The problem I had was by the time that we opened up the pages, my mood changed. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim Valentino. Go. Yeah. So my, my good buddy, Jason, he's hanging out and he's like, dude, I have – I have been reading Shadowhawk. You've got to start reading this. So he's he's doing oh the same goodness. thing. He's doing the same thing that you were talking about, where he's buying these things off the shelf because obviously they're going to pop. They're going to want oh, to. They, they, they want your money and they are doing a good job of trying to get it from you, uh, just by looks alone. Now I was intrigued. I'm I'm yep. 14 and I kind of cover this in uh, my podcast, my contribution to the Superblog team up on what Image kind of meant to me. I love the thought of a vigilante just going around and breaking people's backs. You know, he didn't kill nobody. 
He right. broke a back, man. He messed you up, and you weren't going to be doing much after you encountered Shadowhawk. Okay, all right. So you better be on the right side of. You better be on the right side of history when it comes to Shadowhawk. Um, but yeah, now the big thing I remember was the AIDS storyline. There yes. was there was a big like uh, I don't know if it was a controversy or well I wouldn't say it was a controversy. It was a big element of the story, and. Uh, I needless to say, my buddy Jason was trying to get me to read these things. I wasn't. Uh, I I don't think I read the I don't think I read the full run of Shadowhawk until years later, like the first one. I know there's a Shadowhawk two, just like you were talking about. And there is there a Shadowhawk three? I don't know. But there's, I, listen, there's multiple there's multiple volumes of Shadowhawk. I, I remember the first two distinctly because they had the mystery of who was Shadowhawk. It was similar to who is yeah. Wild Dog back in the DC days. You know what I mean? It, it right. had that sort of story where it left you guessing. Could it be the doctor? Could it be the police officer? Could be anybody who was Shadowhawk. Yeah. And, you know, they 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 it tipped your they tipped you off every issue with someone that it wasn't. And, you know, I was intrigued, but I was only intrigued so far because the art not was a, fan, huh? a struggle was a struggle for me i will say now I, I recently went back and took a look at valentine valentino's guardians of the galaxy because i heard that you know that run was you know it, it separated yeah. itself and did lots of good stuff the artwork is is uh, i don't want to disparage a creator but i i really it just wasn't for me i mean that's how i'm gonna put it it wasn't okay. for me the the proportions, and I know we're talking about, you know, a set of artists who proportions are, you know, yeah. are not exactly their strength, we'll say. People do their own thing, you know, Rob Liefeld stretches anatomy, Jim, Le Jim, uh, Jim Lee does the same thing. Mark Silvestri, not Mark Silvestri, uh, Jim Valentino, I think, creates his own depth. Okay. <laughs> Some of the angles that he puts these characters in, their perspective is so way off that you're like, what angle is this guy shooting from here? Like, <laughs> is he squat up like a can or is he looking yeah, from from the top? I cut. I couldn't figure it out. Foreshortening was not his strength. That can really take you out of a comic, man. Oh. When you're sitting there and you're looking at it, and you're like, what just happened? And how <laughs> how do I discern who won that battle? Okay, there. Okay, that guy's bleeding. Okay, all right, he won. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I I can't say that I read enough Jim Valentino to be that um, that upset about his art. What I read in Shadowhawk, I didn't hate. Uh, so I would, uh, you know, I. I would like to go back. I know we're supposed to do that one. One of the polls for the unspoken issues that we haven't oh, done yet. God. You yeah, have man. to do it, please, please. Uh, that's something I want to listen to. Jesse Starcher. <laughs> it was the Jim Valentino. Uh, what if, because that was the last book that he did prior to leaving to go to image. Uh, he did a what uh, if. On that particular podcast. You need to have me on for the, like the, the last two seconds. And it's just me saying, I told you so. I told you so, Jesse. <laughs> That's all it needs to be. All right, then. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Jim Valentino. What are we doing? Are we giving thumbs up or are we well, giving thumbs down? It's a shame. Okay, is somebody going to get a thumbs down? I guess I give Jim Valentino a thumbs down here today. And I mean, I, that's... I, I give him two thumbs down, one for myself and one for Todd McFarlane, because as history states, Todd was no fan of Jim because he didn't think he was uh, as talented right. as the, the other members, believe that or not. I've heard it. I've heard that. I've heard that exact thing. Now, speaking of Todd McFarlane, we're going to shift to our next creator who shockingly um, fooled me for a little period of time. I was so heavily into Amazing Spider-Man. Do you know that I did not notice for about three issues in that they had changed artists? 
<laughs> wow. Well, yes. that's that's a good sign. I mean, if you're if you're trying to find somebody to follow up Todd McFarlane's departure from Spider-Man, yep. what better way to do it than tricks? You know, if somebody can actually I, trick somebody into thinking that they never even left, that person never even left. If you uh, look at the first few issues of uh, of Eric Larson's Amazing Spider-Man run, he does a good mock of of Todd McFarlane. Now he, he just basically after a few issues, he wanders off completely into his own style. Okay. So he owns that book on his own. Uh, Rob Liefeld says on Rob's observations that it's, you know, his favorite run of amazing Spider-Man ever. I don't know if I'd go that far, but you know, he, he does, you know, some definitely some Ditko fan service to the artwork there. You know what I mean? I think he really does his own thing and makes it his own, but I was completely blown away when I looked at the, um, you know, the credits and it was Eric Larson. I'm like, how do I know this guy? Then I remembered, oh, the Doom Patrol guy. I remember, yeah. you know, collecting Doom Patrol back in the day for DC. And I remember they had a very distinct style to the point where I tried to copy his artwork. That's why I knew it. I recognized it. And that was a thing, like you said, you're finally coming into your own. You have your art eyes on and you're finally figuring out who these guys are. And, you know, the name, the artist that's on the book was actually selling the books at the time. So Eric Larson on Spider-Man was a win for me. As as Doom Patrol, he was a win for me. And then of course, he was you know, he was one of the two first image comics that I got with Savage Dragon. Yeah. Dude. Love I it. love Eric Larson. And I still love him to this day. Like you know, some of his art is uh you know I, I don't know if he spends, you know, marathon like a month building a book or anything. I think he's a, a very efficient artist with speed, we'll say. But I still love that style. It's a comic book style. It's a fun style. And his art just – it's one of those things that that I like. And, you know, people call it loose and lazy sometimes. But I kind of dig it, man. It, it's comic book art. It's not photo reference computer-generated shizzo. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just someone drawn with a pencil, and I appreciate it. What do you think? Right. Eric Larson. So my favorite, absolute favorite image founder slash creator right. is Eric Larson. I, I yes. love this guy. Um, I do too. So recognizing, recognizing him back in the Marvel days, I, I don't think I was – I know I have some of these issues of Spider-Man. I know I have some of these issues. Well, he was on Amazing at one point too, wasn't he? Like, was he doing some yeah, Amazing? Yeah. yeah. So he was, I know he, was I, a direct, he was the direct successor to uh, Todd McFarlane. That's what I thought. So yeah. I – you know, I'm – I know I'm picking up some of these issues, but for the life of me, I don't remember recognizing his name uh, until Savage Dragon drops. Now, the thing is, is that I get in on Savage Dragon at the ongoing part of things. Uh, so, again, uh, I right, guess right. I, I, I think that I am I assume I'm like, hey, this is another number one I can get in on uh, the, the limited series. Uh, the four the four issue miniseries is four, I think three or four. But anyway, I I did. I missed it. I missed. I totally missed out on it. Uh, but when I saw that cover for the ongoing series, which is still going on today, uh, again, this guy's a workhorse. And I love oh, I, I love the concepts that he's the concept of the Savage Dragon being an actual comic book that goes, you know, time passes here as it does in the Dragon book, which is great. You know, it, he's. You know, so the Savage Dragon, as far as I know, I stopped collecting it like issues. Oh, man, I want to say 50 or 60, something like that. Um, But from what I understand, like dragons, the original dragon's gone. We're talking to his son now. I mean, 
yeah. legitimately 30 years have passed in the Dragon Book. It, when I you love look that at it, concept. What, what an great. idea and what, and what dedication to the book. He's the yes. only guy who's still drawing his own book. Now, there's been some delays lately. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. He, no. he's, uh, he's put a little bit of a pause on his schedule, but he's back at it again. So, you know, he had a little bit of a pause, but he did not give up on the book. He didn't turn over creative duties to somebody exactly. else. And he's, exactly. And he's back at it. And nobody, not the, not the Todd McFarlane's, not the Rob Liefeld's, not the Jim Lee's, nobody can say that about their titles. He's the only guy who stuck with it. Let me tell you, the, the, I can't remember which issue it was, but the issue that he drew Rapture about nearly topless – <laughs> let me tell you something it's the most some of the most cartoony look but you're just like man i want to see more i want to see more of that <laughs> give me more of that rapture please please oh dude uh, dude some of the later issues he uh he he just doesn't care anymore he goes he full on. Oh, love it. See, oh no he, he he goes he goes full 70s bush oh that's, my god oh that's yeah fantastic that is oh, that's yeah. what, that you go i'm i'm going to mention this but this is what image comics opened my eyes to I, I don't think i recognized what an independent comic book was before image comics came around <laughs> i didn't realize that hey we can go ahead and tell our own stories and we can also point oh hey i'm gonna go ahead and draw lobo in this issue uh, right. lobo you can't do that can you oh yeah you could do that there's cable he's sitting right over there but we're not going to call him cable <laughs> they literally did that so a lot of them it's funny. Keep going. Tell me more. And, well, and, and, and then the blood, the gore, and of course, the, these mature audiences that uh, should have been reading these books. And, and nope, it was 13-year-old Jesse going to the comic store and getting his allowance and picking up Savage Dragon number one. I totally so, agree, man. I mean, so, some of these... Uh, you know, some of these looks and styles of characters uh, would not would not pass the sniff test in 2022. Let's put it that way. The uh, <laughs> oh, my God, I could guarantee you there would be some uh, some rights group that would be kicking up over this stuff. But I tell you what, I even broke out the Paul Abdul socks there uh, for a couple of those issues. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Oh, my goodness. They, they came out from an under that bed. I'm letting you know. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is some fantastic stuff. <laughs> All right. So I guess I guess we're both in agreement with this guy. So uh, Eric Larson, he gets my thumbs up. Are we getting two? I'm going to give him two. He's he's always I've, he's always had a fan here. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Me too. And now another guy who's a little bit, um, you know, he almost flies under the radar. You, you may forget him. Uh, Wills Protasio, Mr. Punisher, Mr. X-Men, you know, wet works and believe it or not, Spawn. So oh. what do you think? Will's okay. Protasio. When, when did Will uh, hop on Spawn? Was that I, I assume uh, that later, been... like later in the game? But boy, did he have a, a a decent look! I mean, geez, it was really something. Now I'm going to tell you a story about Will's Protasio because I, I was a Punisher fan. Okay, I grew up uh, loving Punisher inside the pages of uh, of Amazing Spider-Man. I loved him, uh, you know, with Mike Zeck back in the '80s. That five issue yeah. miniseries was just game changer for me i love that look and i couldn't wait for him to have his own series oh my god punishers finally finally getting his solo series right then he came out and it was crap it looked really really bad i was waiting for my mike zek punisher and i didn't get it and then they did um you know they had jim lee over on punisher war journal and i'm like okay punisher's back 
And then Wills Protasio slips in here somewhere. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I like that. And w- Wills used to draw these elongated necks. I don't oh, know yeah, if you yeah. noticed that, but it was, there were just these like – you know, Frank Castle would have this amazing neck that stood that started at the back of his ass crack and went all the way to the back of his head. <laughs> you know. like it was just he was all neck. And, wow. uh, you know, but he had this weird hybrid style where he sort of looked like the combination of Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri. If they had a child, it would be like the disproportionate uh, body of Wills Portacio. <laughs> That's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and he did Punisher. He did X-Men. And, yep. uh, you know, he he did his best, I would say, Sylvester impression right. <laughs> was what I'll say. Right. And but so I wasn't a real fan. And he did wet works for uh, for image, which I just I, I literally could not stand, did not like it. But then I saw some later issues where he did spawn. Man, it wasn't bad. It was oh. not bad. He figured that shit out, and I'm telling you, I don't know what. What are your thoughts? Wills Portacio, go. So yeah, you mentioned the Punisher. This is uh, I can remember clearly going to my grandmother's every other weekend for a while there in the late '80s, uh, early '90s. I would make my way down to the 7-Eleven walking distance. Okay, we yep. had a 7-Eleven walking distance from her house, and there, you know, sits a Street Fighter arcade some VHS movies to rent and lo yeah. and behold, there's a nice little newsstand sitting there as well. Had some comic books on it. Uh, I was buying Punisher off of that newsstand for a little bit and Wills was uh, penciling that. And I'm pretty sure we're in the double digits. I want to say yeah. at least one of the double yeah, yeah. digits. Uh, uh, one of the issues was in the double digits for, and Wills drew a clean Punisher. I mean, I, I don't know if, if Frank ever looked so good as in like handsome. He's a handsome dude. Oh man. Uh, oh yeah. He, you know, he made him a sex machine. <laughs> so you know this i don't know if i've i'm sure i've probably seen him on on the x-men doing some of the x-men because if he was doing that the only Sylve- i can only remember sylvester's x-men for some reason so i'm gonna have to yeah. look that up but portacio wow. version of x-men was very similar to sylvester so i mean you know i don't I'm know if he was like, a a gap filler or whatever the case might but he had his own little run there so i mean well then I would say, OK, so I didn't know much about him other than what I'd seen in The Punisher. I probably wasn't putting his name with the art uh, at that time. And Image Comics, of course, hits in one of the more infamous stories uh, in the early days of Image Comics <clears throat> was the long way to delay for Wetworks number one. <laughs> oh, boy, man. It was it was between that and and what was the other one? Shaman's Tears. Shaman's that, Tears. That, 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 just, <laughs> yep. that just seemed to take forever to come out. And I remember, you know, Wetworks was promised. And I mean, I saw these ads for months, like in back issues. I, and I think of probably Wizard. And uh, man, it, uh, it it didn't deliver for me. What do you think? Well, I. I didn't pick it up. I mean, I think at that time, I wish I could remember when it came out. It had to have been like 96, 97, uh, maybe, right. maybe a little bit earlier than that. But regardless, I, it wasn't something where I was like, this was a number one and I had to get it. I, I enjoyed what I, I heard all this stuff, this great stuff that Wilson do, was doing, which by the way, I was just looking at it. He was the penciler for the first appearance of Bishop uh, in the yes, X-Men. Yes, sir. Movie. His yeah. name is Bishop. That that classic <laughs> that classic thing where you know Bishop's inside the portal and you got the other two guys in the front with the big guns and exactly. Oh man, exactly. it, yeah, yeah. Now now that if you had to judge his X Men run, that that book alone right there would have you know sold a million ships because that no that kidding. looked like dynamite at work. 
No kidding. But yeah, yeah, I didn't pick up. I didn't pick up any of the wet works. And what was funny was we, I think we. Uh, I want to say on unspoken issues we covered like the Spawn Wildcats crossover Devil Day, and there's a bunch yep. of mention uh, of they like to mention stuff that's happening in the Image universe. And all I remember is like Wetworks is talking about vampires, and I mean just I, I didn't understand what the heck was going on in the book, and I was like okay. I'm not going to pick this up. So right. did I hate it? I mean, I didn't, I can't judge it because I wasn't, I wasn't reading it. I understand the reason why he couldn't, I think there was a lot of family stuff that was going on with him and that's why he could not get out to get the yeah. uh, first issue on as, as early as everybody else wanted. And would it, would it have done well? I mean, a year or so earlier or whenever it was supposed, when image first hit, maybe, I mean, if it was one of those flagship titles that actually came out, uh, when it was supposed right. to and hit at the right yeah. time, you know, it, it could have been something, it may have been something that was really good. Um, but yeah, man, I, and as for following his career, I haven't really, yeah, I wish I could say I did. I mean, he's, he's one of those creators that I know his name. I've seen his work. I just never really sat down and uh, consumed a lot of them. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, I bet you have consumed a lot of them. I, I bet some of the issues that sit in your library are protasios. Right. Because, I'm looking at some of these covers. I mean, if, yeah. If you, if you read X-Men back in the heyday uh, of the Sylvester Lee, uh, well, Protasio was, era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Chances are some of those issues were, do you remember when X-Men went twice monthly? Oh, I'm I'm sure that uh, yeah. <laughs> sure this that thing, this thing was this thing was coming out like crazy, and yeah, Protasio was was aboard that ship. So you know, I think he was one of these guys who did his best fill-in art between the two two styles of Sylvester and Lee, and uh, one of those guys that I think we both have plenty of us work in probably our collections. We just don't know it, but yeah, right. name name value for Wills was 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 probably his weakness, but I am giving him a thumbs up because okay. I think his style was good enough. I think that uh, his his work at Image was, you know, not my favorite at all. But uh, for what he did with Marvel, some of the big high flagship titles, I mean, he delivered on some big books, and it's hard to give it that a thumbs down. Right, right. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and gladly join in with you and giving him a thumbs up. I'm looking at, I mean, I, I have that issue of, of X Men with Storm on the cover. The right. rain's hitting her. It's yes. beautiful. Uh, yeah, here, so, here's, here's what I'll tell you. The one thing that his one weakness, just zoom in on some of those faces. <laughs> yeah. Take a look. Uh, Take a look. Do, do that little pinch and just squeeze into some of those faces. Well, the, this, the, yeah, the, uh, the difference, be, the difference between a Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee is, is glaringly obvious when you do the little pinch trick. Trust me on that one. You're probably right. I'm looking at X-Men 281 <laughs> right now. It's got Jean Grey and Storm on the cover. A new team is yep. born. And I can say that. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, there. Yeah, it's, I hey, I'll just put it this way. It's an interesting style. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting style, but but I think it worked for us back then. Now, the man who Rob Liefeld claims is the single best penciler in modern times, Mark Silvestri. Now, boy, <laughs> does that come loaded. This guy did his uh, Yeoman's work on X-Men, and man, he was, uh, I think he was a powerhouse on the pencil. You know, Psylocke never looked so good under the, the, the pencil of Mark Silvestri. I mean... He did Wolverine. You know, his Cyclops was excellent. Storm, unbelievable. Just a good, fluid style, almost a uh, Asian look to some of his characters. He just transformed, you know, the 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 look and vibe of X-Men books that I think that, uh, you know, that that Lee 
was you know you know making a name from but i mean mark silvestri is in the trenches and right. uh, and and just pulling off this masterwork on the page and uh so he came out with cyberforce yes. i didn't like cyberforce at all i i literally <sighs> quit it after maybe two issues that was I, that was enough i i didn't want it i'm really like concerned about how many of these books that i had on the pool <laughs> list <clears throat> and versus how much money i actually had in my pocket how did i afford this stuff because Cyberforce you, was on you the pull shoplifted list. it, Jesse. You shoplifted <laughs> Cyberforce number one. Oh Jailless my man. <laughs> hey, I, I sat there and watched Days of Our Lives with the wife of our LCS for the longest time. So I respect it. I ain't shoplifted nothing there, Chris Bailey. Um, <clears throat> so Cyberforce Cyber to me just looked. Uh, I guess super generic, you know what I mean? You had okay. Ripclaw, who was who was really cool, but he was yeah. the Wolverine of the team. You had the Cable-looking guy, you know, the Incredible Hulk slash Colossus-type guy. I mean, it was just the Psylocke girl. You you had, like, all the, all the like, echoes of, you know, classic X-Men, and he right. didn't really do anything brand new for me, and it just it didn't not, resonate at all. Not with Cyberforce, and, and again, I was probably collecting it just to collect it and read it and it was a story that i was keeping up with <clears throat> it was a new you know it was a new uh image comic uh just to kind of push backwards a little bit one of the first stories that i remember collecting specifically because i enjoyed the story and i wanted to get every part of the crossover was inferno so yes yes Silvestri had his hand in that, and I will tell you that, so, boy, could he draw a lady. Could he draw the Madeline goblin? Madeline Pryor. Oh, my God. Lord. Just <laughs> knock me out. I, oh, I, uh, baby. That was yeah. the man. Inferno was the shit. That was amazing for X-Men. That, that was when I was living my best X-Men life. Man. Right, dude. That was so, so good. I, I, I remember that we only had at that time, we only had a newsstand that I frequented to get those comics. And I was, you know, if you missed an issue, you, you, you better you better hope you can find it somewhere else. Uh, but this that's where I was like taken by what was on the page uh, in regards to the art. Now, was I paying attention to who was drawing it at that time? No. But did no, I recognize this art as being spectacular and something that I really, really liked? Yes, absolutely, 100%. I was I was digging Sylvester's X-Men before I realized I was digging Sylvester's X-Men. Well, um, listen to this. I, I love that you spoke about Inferno because I'll just go slightly off topic here for a second. Okay. So that made you're, – you're exactly right. It made me appreciate how good the actual art was because I was collecting all the crossovers as well. And one of the Inferno crossovers was the lazy-ass turd that was Daredevil under the pencil of John Romita Jr. John <laughs> Romita Jr. Absolute yep. Jesse uh, oh my god i don't care the internet can shoot me dead but i do not like that man's artwork i do right, not like it sam i am right here under my tabs in the browser as we speak uh actually no i, I have it on my uh my comic reader as we speak <laughs> we have X, the inferno and inferno additional crossovers where they go into daredevil go into spider-man yeah that's that's all on the agenda at some point for source material <laughs> i am doing inferno and i am going I, balls I, out i want 
to appear on the Inferno episode covering the Daredevil. You can bring me on and I will curse. I will curse loudly, Jesse. You will have to edit me to the point where where I am no longer legible on the on the on the audio. Nice. But, but yeah, so so Mark Silvestri. So what do you what do you think? What do you think? What do you think of okay. his style? What do you think of Cyberforce? Where where are you Cyber, going? Okay, Cyberforce. Just real quick before I give a thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, yep. I can remember the crossover that they had with the Wildcats, which I think was oh goodness, now I cannot remember the name of it. I want to say it was Deadly Something. And that's probably wrong, but there was the rib claw war blade kind of thing going on. Yeah, now, that might have been why I was reading it. Um, and because I, I got I was doing Wildcats at the time and then they were probably pushing. Oh, hey, check this out. We're crossing over with uh, Cyberforce. You might want to. And then I started reading Cyberforce after that. But as for, yeah, hey, oh, for they, me, that actually worked. Yeah, they, the image did a good job of that, actually. Yeah. So I, I you know, I'm going to Sylvestri. He goes on to do a, some Better stuff. You might recognize some other comics that come out from Image under Sylvester's name. Uh, he is important. I mean, he's uh, the Darkness, isn't he? Part of? Didn't he do the Darkness? The, dark, the Darkness. darkness uh, didn't he? He had his hand in Witchblade, Witchblade, even though that was, I think, a Michael Turner yep. vibe. Yeah, right. yeah, man. I mean, he uh, he did a lot more than than we give him credit for. But on yeah. his own on his own accord, Cyberforce is is his uh, baby. I'm okay. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Silvestri a thumbs up. Okay, that's yeah, that, yeah, you, yeah, definitely, you, definitely for the for his artwork alone and his contribution to X Men fandom and just for Madeline Pryor, that Goblin mm. Queen. Under under yeah. boob, please. Ooh, baby lord, please have that on my screen. Oh my lord, great, great. So yes, sir. Listen, Rob Liefeld, is he my favorite penciler? He is not, but I can guarantee you, he brought smiles to to young Chris Bailey's face back in the day. Yes, he, yes, he did, and he will get a very solid thumbs up. Now, right. finally, finally, we left him. We left the uh, well. We left him for last. You can decide on your thoughts. Rounding out I the will... magnificent seven. Yep, I I'm I am just gonna go on record and say that I love Rob Liefeld's art. I don't care. You can you can ban me from the internet. You can put me on Truth Social. Whatever you want to do, you can comicscape my ass. I don't care. I love the guy's work. I'm a fan of comic book art. Just that I like to read comics that look like comic books. And right. Rob Liefeld's art looks like a comic book, feels like a comic book, and is comfort food for me. The last, the very last comic I purchased recently um, was was a trade of Snake Eyes Dead Game with Liefeld. And uh, yeah. I really, really, really dig his stuff, his current stuff. But back in the day, he turned comics on its head with that style. Oh, I am telling you right now. Wow. If if there wasn't a hotter character for me than Cable. Okay, you know me. You know me, Chris. Chris Bailey. Yes. Uh, do I like time travel? No. I I love time travel. <laughs> <laughs> You're damn right. You're damn right. Oh, I, they sent this dude into the future as a baby and he came back as an old man to try and help his parents out. Cable. Oh my gosh. Oh, so So good. What a contribution to comics just in general. So, you know, I I remember reading these mutant books. I told you I was reading mutant books when I was uh, when, when I was around this age. And that was that character alone sold me on X-Man, sold me on X-Force, uh, sold me on a lot of the X-Books themselves. Yep. You know, it, it, that that right there 
was just, you know, that, that was the bee's knees for me. Now, when we talk about Rob Liefeld as an artist, um, you know, there are a, there's a lot of critics and sometimes it's warranted. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. you can look oh, yeah. at some of the stuff, the classic Captain America. My goodness. How many times <laughs> have you and I seen that? How many times have we seen? Listen, listen, listen. Cap Tits, uh, you know, <laughs> has has resonated all over the comic book world. Do you right. know that he actually redrew that with reduced breasts? Did he seriously? He did. He did. He took another crack at that exact image and literally reduced the size of the chest cavity. And it it it's still, you know, an obscene size for a chest. But man, the original Cap Tits, Cap Tits was a sight to behold. Man. You talk about anatomy didn't matter. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, and there's, you know, you hear a lot of stories about Rob. You hear uh, from people, but uh, Rob Servations yeah. is a podcast that I tune into too. I, I also can't, listen to that as can't well. Miss. Can't Cannot miss. Cannot miss it. Love hearing the stories. The guy is probably one of the most animated like physically or i guess i should say uh you know just in his just in his dialogue he is one of the most animated people that i have heard one of the most animated creators that i've heard enthusiasm Uh, for the business is one thing that just you know comes out of the comes off the page comes out of your earphones it it is it is almost an addiction how much i love that show the behind the scenes stuff his stories about you know heroes reborn those that that stack of issues that stack of episodes were some of the best podcasts ever listened to the entire uh fighting american lawsuit episodes the best you know behind the scenes comic book stuff you'll ever hear and he's infectious i love his art style and man he turned x-men on its head if anyone listen i know that jim lee you know takes a lot of credit for what he did but i don't think anybody did there's more more for the x franchise than rob liefeld what he did with cable alone and everything that happened the fallout from just cable and x-force uh, resonated throughout the entire uh, franchise of the X. And then, and then you have, you know, Deadpool, a little, uh, <laughs> a little no character is Deadpool. I man, I mean, he was, he was bucking the Bronco. A man like, like, like Todd McFarlane had reason to be worried because he figured out early on that, Hey, I get paid if I create these characters, so I'm just going to create all my characters. So he took the New Mutants and basically filed every one of them away, made his own (laughs) characters with Domino, with Cable, with Wolfsbane, all these people, made made them a brand new team as X-Force. And then just start cashing checks. Then right. he started introducing. He came up with a theory, and it's a really fun one. You know, everyone is going to buy your first issue, so don't introduce as many characters then. Wait till ep- ep- uh, you know issue two. You know, introduce Deadpool or introduce uh, you know Kane. Right. Always have that in your second and third, so people keep buying. You know what I mean? You're giving them something new. And for a business mind, he had it going on, and he definitely. You know, even shook the guys like Todd McFarlane because he was making money and they looked at him as, you know, the little kid that they would pat on the head. Oh, Bob, you can't talk to Bronco, but, 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 you know what I mean? It's, it was ridiculous. Right. So uh, he was, he's an inspiration to me and what he did, you know, but I saw Rob Liefeld early on. Like I bought that Hawk and Dove series from DC. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I bought New Mutants when he took it over right away because that, that cable issue, just flew off the shelf to me. Yeah, I looked dude. at that and was like, something different's going on. Oh, yeah. Then Youngblood, oh, yeah. I had to track that shit down. I could not yeah. find issue one. 
Now, you know, mileage may vary on some of his extreme stuff, you know what I mean, or maximum press, you know, when he did Angela and different stuff like that. But Brigade, Profit, I I was eating that stuff, man. Loved it. So, okay. Um, Little do you know. No, trust me, Chris Bailey, you know. Supreme. (laughs) Supreme. Yes. Right there. Okay. I pick up. I, I cannot remember which issue of Supreme it was. Maybe it was six maybe issue four is early it was in the early issues and i didn't know anything about supreme other than may have been a mention in some of the other image comics well i picked this issue up and here it is we have uh basically a superman without compunction without holding back like he the the issue that i'm talking about i think he runs into blood strike blood strike is trying to I think they're trying to stop a, a terrorist deal and Supreme just kind of flies in and I beams everybody's faces off. And then he gets into it with Bloodstrike and myrtleizes them. And it is like I'm sitting there. I'm like the blood and the gore. I mean, it was just off the chain and it was merciless. And it had my money from that point forward. Now, oh. goes on. I go on record as telling everybody that I can when I mentioned Supreme or Supreme gets mentioned to me, I wrote a letter to a comic book company. Now, does does that happen often? Yes, it does. Does it happen often for Jesse Starcher? Does Jesse Starcher get so upset, so frustrated about a comic book that he actually picks up a pen and writes a letter to a comic company? No, I'm too lazy to do that, but something must have really <laughs> pissed me off. And you know what pissed me off? Alan Moore taking over the book and then like straight up ripping off Superman. And I don't know why I got so upset. I mean, I I've went back. You can go back into unspoken issues archives and you can hear me and Dean Compton. I I think we sat. I heard it. I, I, you know, I go on record now as saying, okay, look, I may have overreacted a little. Okay. But it, it, I, I loved that early Supreme. I love the idea of it. I love the fact that now it, he, he was he was just he showed up and he took care of business. Um, and then when they changed it, I was really, really mad. But uh, again, they were there were some really good storytelling involved in those issues in the later issues when Alan Moore took over, obviously. Uh, but Alan Moore always, always like he what he did with Swamp Thing, you know what I mean? He he tries to change direction, but he sort of uh, delegitimizes what came before it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he sort of takes what happened before and just basically throws it in the trash so it means nothing. And that, that pisses me off. Like I, I loved everything that happened in Swamp Thing before he took over. So, you know, I, I didn't need him to tell me that it was all crap. You know hey, what I mean? Right, right. And that, and that's exactly, you know, this was, uh, you know, anybody who's heard the story, it's it was supposedly his apology um, to how extreme things have gotten. Uh, and, and this was Alan Moore's way of saying, oh, no, you know, here. Let's let's talk about this. This is my apology for Watchmen or something. I don't know yeah. if that's true. I mean, it's like, come on, man. Anyway, uh, you know, as far as Liefeld goes, he's going to get a pass easily just because oh, of yeah. Supreme when it comes to Image Comics. Now, as for Youngblood itself, I- I'm right. I'm right there with you, man. I can't find this issue anywhere until I get issue four and it says the final battle. Well, that's a great place to start, isn't it? But I get <laughs> <laughs> I pick that up and it's got. It's got the team on the front. Chapel's right in the middle. And you yes. know, this is a badass cover. This is something that sells me immediately. And I had to get my hands on it. I paid full price. I think it was 250 or whatever. 
but I wanted to see what was happening in this book. I wanted to get my hands on it, and uh, I did. And I, and as for some of the later Young Blood stuff, I don't remember when the on well the second series, the series that comes out after that, because I'm pretty sure that's the fourth issue of the first series that I picked, first volume. But anyway, uh, needless to say, I was picking up Young Blood Strike Strike File. I was picking up ancillary. Youngblood stuff, but that wasn't a team that I solely got into that came from Liefeld. My Liefeld experience, I guess you could say, was definitely tied to Supreme. Oh yeah, my God, yes. For when it, for his image output, that was that was a that was a genius creation, man. And listen, I I know that you know Liefeld has lost a lot of you know his own properties to to another shady shady businessman, we'll say, who uh, you know who's who's got his young blood held captive, and you know we wish that he would get this back under his. Uh, under his banner somewhat soon, because I'd love to see all these characters again under his pencil. You know what I mean? There's so much depth that came out of the original creators and it's a shame. We'll never see them all together again because there's, there's so much bad blood. There's so much legal ramblings. There's so much, you know, internal politics. And not only that, Image doesn't barely even own half the characters anymore with, you know, right. with the with the purchases of of Wildstorm, of Top Cow, of, you know, all these characters are under all these different banners. And even to make a, a movie, it's a shame that you'll never see them all under one banner. You know what I mean? Yep. It, it, you'll you'll never see the image cinematic universe. And, and right. that's a damn shame. Yeah. So but- Rob Liefeld. What are we giving them? I, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm just straight thumbs up, straight yeah. up. I mean, you can you can talk about no feet. You can talk about cap tips all you want. I don't care about any of that. I, I just I love his style. It's comfort food for me. And I, ju- I just love his output. Simple all, as those, that. all those cap tits people were buying those Liefeld issues back in the 90s and the 80s, <laughs> man. And, so don't don't even try. OK, Come don't even on, try to man. pretend that you weren't buying these issues back then because you were enjoying what you it was completely different from what you were getting before. It was so unique. So, yeah, thumbs up. Absolutely. One hundred percent. So I, I got a, I got a Jesse Starcher style question for you. Mm. If Doc, you know, if Doc Brown and Marty McFly went back in the DeLorean and they <laughs> made, you know, if something happened where Rob Liefeld never, ever got that job on, you know, Hawk and Dove and he never, ever made it big. What would comic book look like? Oh, what would yeah. be, it, it, it would be, it would look like Ron Friends artwork. <laughs> nice, uh, simple, I, plain, enjoyable, but not bombastic. You know, you know I mean, what I'm saying? I, I love Ron Friends, and I, and I love that episode of your show. But, yeah. you know, even he admits that he was drawing a safe house style. Oh, yeah. I I right? could tell yeah. there was a little bit of resentment there. <laughs> I wouldn't say resentment. Yeah. I don't know if he holds that. But, I mean, you could just tell that, you know, he had a different style compared to everybody else that was hitting hot fire at the time. And That's right. It was, his, <laughs> his, was, his was an old school Straight up, this was the, um, I would say the John Romita style is is uh-huh. what he was doing. The Herb Trimpey. That this is what this is what he was doing. But but that style belonged to the Bronze Age. You know what I mean? We had moved into another area era, era yeah. and uh, yeah. we were in the bombastic nineties. And you know, the pencils got looser, things got different, and things got a little bit more extreme. And, extreme. You know, yeah, yeah, and it would be interesting to even try to think about what image comics would have been without Rob, uh, because oh, uh, there's a you know you, you were just talking about it earlier about some of the dealings that were going on and how you know he was definitely one of the seven. Now, would have image comics have come most likely? Uh, but again, right. you've got you've got to have these people that were 
championing for creator rights. You know, they wanted to get out there so yes. that these creators had the freedom and were able to make the money off of the things that came from their own minds. Uh, that's what makes Image Comics great. That's what makes just to think about the fact that y you were alive and you got to see that go oh. down. You got to see these guys take their work and go somewhere else. Actually, no, let's not go anywhere else. Let's just go ahead and create our own company, create our own universe, and let's see how we do. And it started blowing the doors off of places. Could you? I mean, you could probably go on a YouTube right now. Go look for some of the newsreels of when this stuff was going on. There's lines of people going down the street just to get, you know, signatures on some of these comics in the 90s. It, so, it was it was what I would call, and, and I think I think they should define this era as something separate because what happened here with Image, I would almost call the Rockstar era. It was a right. it was a point in, it was a point in time where these guys were bona fide celebrities. This this wasn't this was they transcended a comic book page. They were like celebrities. You know they were on the Levi's commercial. You had Todd McFarlane, you know, breaking out. These guys made their own. You know they were in Hollywood. You know inside Hollywood all of a sudden. And this wasn't Marvel yeah. characters, man. This was Todd McFarlane's Spawn is on right. your screen. HBO took their stuff. We had we had a Savage Dragon cartoon on Saturday yeah. mornings. I mean it was crazy. What was going on here? But that didn't last, Jesse Starcher. Infighting began. You know, they, they began to use fraction, you know, factional warfare, we say. They had the big breakup. Rob yeah. pulls out and everybody starts, you know, all everything, all the assets became divided. So, you know, the thing with Image is that they weren't one specific company. They were a series of studios that made stuff under one banner and took independent creators. So it right. wasn't one unified. This was not Marvel Comics. This was not DC. This was a series of banners coming together under one header. So, you know, Awesome Comics or, or Maximum Press or Extreme under Rob Liefeld. You had Silvestri with, uh, you know, with Top Cow doing, Top you know, Cow. Witchblade, Fathom. You had, you know, Wildstorm pumping out Wildcats, Gen 13, all the different things that happened then you had deathmate <laughs> it's happening buddy it's a happening <laughs> at some point oh, oh. Yeah, we're not gonna go into, we're not gonna we're not gonna go into detail on deathmate but i can guarantee you jesse starcher you need to do deathmate in detail six issues of deathmate because that when valiant comics collided with image comics you would have thought that this was great you know what i mean the best written comics in comic book in comic uh you know comic world at the time Absolutely. through valiant they were right. pumping out some of the best written stuff ever bob layton spearheaded that jim shooter my god the stuff that they created then they collided with the hottest looking books on the shelf with image right. with the popular characters you know you had young blood teaming up with uh with bloodshot you had all Oh my God! How cool did that look? It was, and the entire concept came about because Rob simply wanted to draw Ryan Bloodshot. How cool would it be? I, I need to draw Bloodshot. What do we do a crossover? I just shared that picture of that ad. This blood's for you, July '93. <laughs> yes. Doesn't happen until November, but it, it, you know, they were. He was excited. You could tell he was. Uh. And I remember looking at that picture, going, "Holy crap! Look at that Bloodshot! Bring it on, uh. buddy!" What was funny, they, so they had like – they released it in six issues, and these things were deluxe books. They had, you know, shiny oh, yeah. covers, and they, you know, they had the black issue. They had the silver – they had the – or the yellow issue, the silver issue, all crazy. And Valiant delivered on their books, and then all of a sudden, 
<laughs> image faltered. They were delays. They find them. Where are they at? Oh, they haven't been made yet. Oh, <laughs> but well, Bob Layton from Valiant Comics, uh, you know, legend has it that he had to literally fly to Rob Liefeld's house and I wait for him to finish the pages. Now, Rob disputes this a little bit on his podcast, but uh, Bob Layton is adamant that this happened. And, you know, you know, it, it became a problem then because. When Rob wanted to do that, every all the partners were not in. Todd McFarlane wanted nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? He thought it was a bad business decision. And that started the, you know, the 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 cracks in the foundation. And then everybody, you know, splintered off. You had Jim Lee leaving. Uh, you had the the boys jump off. You had Liefeld and uh, Jim Lee split off and go back to Marvel for Heroes Reborn. Think about that for a second. Oh yeah. No. They I just have. up and went back. You were up you, and you went gotta... back. This bird, this, this this bird, this bridge, this bridge, the bird, maybe even two, a bird would have been sitting on the bridge while it caught fire. It should have been burned down. It should have never been able to go across this bridge again. How is this possible? Let me tell you how it's possible. Money. Money. money, money and they, money, paid money. Those, they paid those guys millions of dollars to come back, and they took every nickel. And Todd McFarlane was looking at these boys bucking that Bronco, and they were making those deals. So, you know, they had done – they had made their money from Image Comics. And it's a shame that we'll never see that superhero universe intact ever again. But, man, what they did for the superhero universe was, in my opinion, second to none. It was so exciting in the 90s. It was it was an actual revolution. And that's why I called this thing Road to Revolution. You know what I mean? The Superblog team up. So I'll leave you with this. What do you think? What do you think would be the legacy of Image Comics, in your opinion? Oh, it's that's easy. It's it's creator driven. Uh, it's it is your it's the one place that creators could go to at least feel like they could do what they wanted to do. That was obviously the whole drive behind it. And I mean, it, it is quintessential Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon <laughs> middle finger to the big two middle finger to the big two. We're going to go do our own thing. And then we were successful. And that's what that I is, always, what's what that's the way I look at it. It's like, these guys did something that should have failed, but no, it was successful. They did something that nobody else could. They rattled the cage in the big two to the point. It, it was so, impactful that superman up and killed or dc <laughs> up and killed superman out of the gate right. you're dead they broke batman's back they did it all man they they you know whatever they could do marvel was scrambling they lost all their major artists they they had no choice they had to go on a mission to you know whatever they could do and they, they <laughs> one of the things they tried was actually to bring back these creators i mean yeah. just yeah. insanity that's great just it's insanity great. It, it's it's they they left their mark and I, I, you know, again, just if you were alive during that time and you were able to uh, see what was going on and watch it unfold in front of your eyes, you went to the LCS and you're like, whoa, wait a second. McFarlane's doing uh, his own book. Imagine not even knowing what's going on. You, you know who McFarlane is, but you go in there and you don't have Wizard, the guide to comics in your hand. And then all of a sudden you see Spawn sitting there with no comics great authority, uh, you know, sitting there on that on that cover. <laughs> What, what am I in store for? Oh, my goodness. 
Oh, oh! Listen, put a copy of Spawn Number One of the DeLorean and drop it right back in the day when they were having those trials over comic books. Remember that? <laughs> just, 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 oh, just yeah. give it to some kid in the '40s and see what happens about a clown doing, uh, you know, bad things to children. That's all I'll tell you. Well, I'll tell you what, Jesse Starcher, it has been a pleasure. This is, you know, the Superblog Team Up edition of Superhero Satellite Episode Three, finally out. We're gonna go ahead and we're gonna pop on the um, the Dave Olbrich interview. This is from the Wizard Files. He's going to tell us all about how Malibu Comics signed and inked the deal, the original deal, to create Image Comics. And we'll be back just a little bit after this. Hang tight, Jesse Starcher. You became a pivotal part of reshaping the landscape of comics in the 90s when Malibu became the original publisher of Image Comics. Now, Rob Liefeld has said on his podcast, he initially came to you wanting to publish his own team book away from Marvel. That led to some controversy at Marvel. There were some issues there that he didn't anticipate for some reason. This is my memory of it. I'm not vouching for it. Okay. Um, I have a really bad memory. Just saying, guys. Sorry. <laughs> if memory serves, when Rob produced his ad for Exterminators, yes. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we did the layouts at Malibu and said it to the buyer's guide on Rob's behalf, is my memory of how that went down. Even though Rob was going to own it, we knew Rob on a book was going to be money. So we wanted to do whatever we could to create and foster his desire to work. Now, with what us. was your takeaway from that initial meeting with Rob, as far as what he was proposing for characters and titles and was the image banner already in play? Like what was he presenting to you and saying, I want to do this. And how did that relationship even come together? We originally saw young blood concept drawings from Rob in 1987 four years before oh, wow. it ever launched. And Rob did a lot of guest covers for us. So we were always kind of in touch with Rob and we were happy to see him take off. I mean, we offered Jim Lee his first professional contract, but by the time he got the contract, he'd been snapped up. And Rob was always full of ideas and stuff. But the first thing that we wanted to do to like test the waters, because he wanted to tiptoe a little bit and we didn't know what we were getting our, ourselves into necessarily. We wanted to do an art of Rob Liefeld book. We thought we could sell a ton of those. Oh, wow. Right. But I didn't think just calling the book the art of Rob Liefeld was enough. So I pitched to Rob that we should call it Extreme, the art yes. of Rob Liefeld, right? And we were more than halfway through the production of that thing before it fell apart in 91. So what were you doing with that? Were you licensing like material from other companies that he did, like DC, Marvel? Look at Chris nailing the problem right <laughs> off the gate. That's exactly the problem. And that's why it fell apart was Rob wanted to use more art from Marvel and DC um, in his book that Marvel and DC wanted to let him use. And all of the other art would have been nice, but he wasn't really Rob Liefeld at the time. He was just Rob Liefeld. So we knew that we had to have some of that art in there. And then it got down to lawyers about how, what percentage of the book can be fair use, what can't. And by the time we sorted it all out, Rob was bored and moved on to something else. Uh, now, <laughs> as it now seems to be the case often, yes. So you guys got lots of umbrellas under you. You know, you've got your yeah. your air cell, you're all this stuff. Suddenly, Marvel Comics seems like it's in, in jeopardy. So it's fractured. All of their artists literally want to leave and they're come they're landing on your doorstep with an well, option here. So, you know, what what is the reaction when you realize, wait a second, we're now going to be marketing books with like Larzen, with uh, Silvestri, with Lee, Portacio, McFarlane, like potentially you had the biggest artist, the hottest creators anyway, right on your doorstep. What was the reaction? Well, the guild came off the lily pretty fast. Um <laughs> basically, I knew Rob and 
Jim and Jim. And I mean, I knew they were all talking and Rob just kept being very vague, which was the right thing to do, frankly. I mean, he yeah. vague was the right approach at that point. And then he said, he calls up one day and he goes, it's going down in New York City. If you want to be part of it, you need to be there. And so Tom and Chris and I went and bought tickets and flew to New York. <laughs> and we, we met with them at breakfast. They said, we're going to go tell Marvel and DC what's happening. And even at that point, and I'm sure you can read it in the other historical records, Todd had one agenda and Rob and Jim had a different agenda. And the yes. other guys had different, they, all, they always had different agendas. All of them, always, right? Well, here, herein lies the biggest flaw with Image. You know, you, you weren't, you know, bringing in a company. You were bringing in separate artists and separate entities and separate studios under the auspices of Image Comics, we'll say. Right, but know, none of that was clear at that point, right? They right. just said, come to New York. We're going to go to Marvel and DC and we're going to tell them we're leaving and come back and meet us for dinner after it's over. We went to the movies. We come back that night. They said, we just told Marvel and DC that we quit. And, you know, Jim Lee was pale as a ghost. <laughs> um, and they said, okay, we're going to meet again for breakfast the next day. You guys go back to your hotel room, come up with a proposal for Malibu Comics to publish Image Comics as an imprint. There was no discussion about how they were going to make things work, right? It was just like, we're leaving. We want to publish comics. We want to make money publishing comics. Malibu's got the infrastructure. Tell us how you think it should work, right? So we go back to our hotel room and we're up all night trying to come up with a a proposal. And our proposal was very much like the creator-owned proposals that you would see back in the day that it's not like Image invented creator-owned comics. My goodness. Starbreach and Eclipse and all these guys had well-established creator-owned deals. So ours was similar to that in a lot of ways. So we go downstairs with our proposal. Todd stands up and says, all right, here's the deal. Take it or leave it. You get a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. We're going to take all the money. You still want to do it. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow all of our work went right out the window they were they just gave us a take it or leave it offer and they said go back home and talk about it amongst yourselves and tell us and of course we flew back to california and told them as soon as we got off the plane that the answer was still yes but we came down on this unavoidable fact we had two choices we could either do it or we could compete with it right were you afraid at the time that image was going to cannibalize your own sales like were you no your own no no because i mean we were already competing with marvel and dc and yeah yeah all these other companies so no that wasn't that was a particular concern whatever our books were selling they were probably going to continue to sell nobody was going to stop buying sherlock holmes reprints (laughs) by frank giacoya because they wanted their rob liefeld book (laughs) that's not really the way fandom works right chris (laughs) so i heard that they weren't super interested in you know splashing the malibu logo over their books oh they wanted nothing to do with us we became pariahs in a hurry so how did that affect your relationship it was that like ultimately just comes down to the money's gonna come in like what was the attitude as you're trying to get this done for them well two things One, we wanted to be as useful and helpful as they wanted. Like with all our creators, if we could, we wanted to give them what they wanted. As long as the money deal was going to work for us, we had the infrastructure. We wanted to give them what they wanted. If they want us to step aside, we'll step aside. The problem was when they made this giant splash, there was nobody to call. 
and all the media wanted a place to call, right? If you have a giant press release about this giant event that's happened, there's always somebody that you can call to get more information so that you can run your story, right? Not with image. We were the only contact people and they didn't want us to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. So this is the, you know, the way it goes, obviously, is that Youngblood is the book that comes out first. That's only because it was further along in the production. Right, exactly. That's kind of my question is who was ready and who was not ready? Because the space between the announcement and the actual release of the books is is stuff of legend, right? Like you you can tell who was ready and who wasn't based on which book come out when. I mean, it's 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 pretty easy to suss out those guys were trying to turn that with their drawings into cash as quickly as they could so for you what really was the first indication that this image launch was going to be a success well we always knew it was going to be the biggest thing we ever touched that was pretty clear from seconds after we made the deal and one of the reasons we went do we do the deal or we compete with the deal well there was no way we wanted to compete with this deal no way. So it was pretty clear it was going to be pretty big from the beginning. The degree of how big it was going to be was the thing that surprised everybody for sure. So there was two incidents. One, I had a rush order of some Spawn t-shirts that I gave away at a Comics Hawaii show for retailers, a trade show. And that was chaos. And then obviously when we solicited Youngblood and we got a number that was outrageous. I mean, it was outrageous. And then we found out Rob was going to be late and we told the distributors, they said, oh, good. We can increase our order. Whoa. That's so crazy. Creator- Benefits Whoa. to lateness. Whoa. Yeah. Retailers and distributors never increased their orders on a late book. That's certainly up, that I'd ever experienced up to that point. I'd never even heard of it happening. And with Rob, Youngblood got pushed back two or three times on its release date. And every time it got pushed back, the orders went up. Now, I got to ask you this question. We are a, you know, a Wizard Magazine history podcast. Yes. So, so often, you know, at least in people's memory, everything they say is image and wizard, image and wizard. Wizard was all about promoting image. That's all it was. That's all they cared about in those pages. And that's why image became a big deal. Obviously, that's not why image became a big deal. But what part do you feel if any at all, did this fledgling fanzine Wizard Magazine play in giving Image the boost in the in you know in a higher profile in those early days? Well, it very it seemed very symbiotic, right? They kept ramping it up, and every time Wizard would push it more, then Image would be more, and then because Image was more, then it was more valuable to Wizard, and just it just kept building on itself. So it felt like Wizard was kind of the bellows, giving the fire more air. Is how right. is how I would look at it. And what was your general opinion? Again, having come from this world of reading, you know, the comics journalism that preceded yep. it, and then participating, what did you feel about Wizard Magazine? I wasn't a big fan, but that's because the initial years of Wizard Magazine were primarily about the price guide and the like, who's right. hot, who's not. First of all, until Image came along, Malibu was never big enough for them to care. Yeah. Right. So any relationship we had up to that point was pay or play. If you want any of coverage, you got to give us a crap load of money for advertising. All right. Well, we're on a strict budget because we want to stay alive. We're not going to use it on Wizard Magazine because we didn't think we could get the proper amount of return. Right. That's kind of where we were until we launched the Ultraverse. And then it got to the point where we could afford to spend more money. We had more money in the budgets and some of that money went to Wizard. And then we got a small amount of coverage. Malibu and Wizard, it was very much 
pay for play. Ah, so we always we there. always wondered that. I'm not sure they ever said it out loud, but it was pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of that, so despite the fact that Image broke away from Malibu to just set up their own publishing entity, which was clear before we rolled Young Blood off the press the first time, that was always ah. the plan. Then, okay. Well, it, we knew because they clearly, if they didn't want us involved, they were going to want us less involved going forward, right? But ultimately. Do you consider that was a valuable partnership for oh, whatever yeah. period of time you had him? Okay. Absolutely. And we're back. And that was the interview. Listen, Jesse Starcher, boy, do we have, <laughs> did we pack a lot into this episode here? And uh, we, we did this on the fly. So folks, listen, everything you heard here is uh, unplanned, unscripted. And uh, boy, I'm glad that the, the, the man who brought me to the dance Mr. Jesse Starcher, who pulled me out of obscurity and put me behind the mic. Uh, it's all his fault, by the way. So if you liked or hated this podcast, it's Jesse's fault. So I'll, oh, yeah. I'll leave with that. So, Jesse, Jesse, what do you what do you got to say to the to the folks before I run down the the fine folks of the Superblog team up? Oh, yeah, Chris, man. Thank you for bringing me on here. This was a lot of fun. I love Love, love, love talking about Image Comics. I love talking about comics with you. We don't get the podcast a whole lot very often together. I know you're doing your wrestling thing with Mark Radlich, but uh, hey, you know I'm always down to talk comic books at any point. You just you just throw uh, throw some words my way. We're going to do it. Uh, but yeah, folks, look. I've got my own. I, I'm going to plug myself here real quick, and then Bailey's got the Super Blog team up that he is going to list here. We got some great, fantastic contributions going in here on the SBTU. But uh, yeah, if you uh, want to check me out, I am on the source. I got my own feed source material comics podcast. Uh, look at this and, guy. Yeah. Look out. I had to, I had to talk, I had to sweet talk Mark Radlish for that one. I said, listen, <laughs> man, don't hate me, but, um, but yeah, I've got my own feed. You could uh, find me on just about any podcatcher. Just type in source material comics. You'll probably be able to find me on there. And uh, look, We've got all sorts of fun stuff on there. We talk about, I've been doing some solo podcasting re recently, uh, and you can hear me talk about Spider-Man and, and uh, that's right, the Orkin Exterminator one shot. Oh, you probably didn't even know that existed. Go check it out. <laughs> it's on there. Uh, and Unspoken Issues. Yeah, just like uh, Chris had said there earlier, I'm on there talking about 90s comics and we are that, that is that is 100 percent one of my it, it is literally on one of the top of my podcatchers like it, it. It, it's you it's you and rob liefeld neck and neck <laughs> well i could not <laughs> ask for better competition i'll tell you that right now uh but yeah yeah you can check that out too unspoken issues chris again thank you very much for having me on man you are welcome sir jesse starcher everybody and listen Jesse is also part of the Superblog team-up. Now, you may ask, what is the Superblog team-up? Well, this is where the blogosphere gets together. We gather all the, you know, the blogosphere's best blogs, uh, podcasts. They come together, and we uh, do about one singular topic. And this time, it's Image Comics Road to Revolution. It happens on May 18th. So if you're listening to this after May 18th, you don't have to wait. It's right here for you. But anyway, our participants, check out Between the Pages blog. Karen over there is talking about the walking dead and she talks she breaks it down through cakes that is something that you're you are going to have to see to witness we have wow. mr evan bevins at the asterix 51 blog he's actually going to read in detail 
Spawn number one. It's called Better Late Than Never. Spawn number one. Asterix 51 and Mr. Evan Bevins. Uh, comics, comics, comics. Listen, J.J., J.J. Goldstein is actually going to go back and remember his early days like we just did of buying Image Comics. Hey, there's also a superhero satellite guy. He finally put out his third episode. I know Chris Sheehan has just crossed 900. Well, I just crossed my third, so put that in your pipe and smoke it, Sheehan. Did, did you third. get yourself a little certificate, little email that says, congratulations <laughs> on number three? <laughs> I feel I'm owed that at this point. Anyway, this 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 is the episode you've just listened to. is the Dawn of Image inking the deal, the Dave Oldbridge tapes, and, of course, Jesse Starcher here as well. We got comic strips starring Mark, the man, Radlich, the uh, – what, what's his tagline? Come on, we we got to do Mark oh, justice the, the here. Manda- the mandated the reporter. mandated reporter, <laughs> Mister <right>. Mark, <laughs> and 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 you know he he's mortified. Let, let's be honest. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, he's he's teaming up uh, with I think Mister Evan Bevins, and yeah, they're covering right. term life. So that's going to be a fun one as well. We got Mr. Ben Herman in my not-so-humble opinion. He covers Astro City then and then. And then we also have, of course, the man himself who's right here with us on the Source Material Comics podcast. Jesse Starcher covers one of my favorite books, actually, that came out at Image at the time, Darker Image. Man, I can't wait for that. It's going to be fun, man. You get to hear a little bit of history. I I got it all polished up. going to be 40, 45 minutes of None unalterable. All, yeah, let's try that again. Unadulterated 90s goodness. My goodness. So it's all those folks and more. We are the Superblog Team Up. Find us on Twitter. Hit hashtag Superblog Team Up or hashtag SBTU, and you can find out all. All the all the back catalog of of all the events that we've done, plus this latest one as well. Join in the fun. Help us out. Retweet. Read some blogs you haven't heard before. Click all the links and uh, check out all the fine offerings that the Superblog team up has to offer for the Superhero Satellite. I'm Chris Bailey for the Source Material Comics Podcast. Jesse Starcher, send them home. Have a good one, everybody. Bye bye. Take care. 